just keep being you. Welcome to the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Horlbogen. I'm on a mission to foster civility, respect, and integrity with a dash of sartorial elegance in the boardroom and beyond. And I invite you to join me on my quest. Never have to be like anybody else cause you're my favorite person when you're being yourself. A true original right from the start, straight from the heart, a great work of art, you stand apart. Welcome to the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Horlbogen. I'm on a mission to foster civility, respect, and integrity in the boardroom and beyond. And I invite you to join me on my quest. There's a real human behind this, right? And a story and someone that's affected on all these levels. So thank you for being, thank you for that. My pleasure. I mean, you know, when you said that, that just like really hit me right here because people don't realize that I am not an HR case. I am not an EEOC charge. I'm a person. And I'm a person that this organization just tossed aside like garbage because they didn't want to handle their problem and instead chose to make, and that has impacted my life. And this was done with no regard to myself, to my family, Mm -hmm. for the fact that for the four and a half years that I worked there, I, and willingly, but I commuted full-time from Atlanta to Washington, D.C., being away from home Mm -hmm. all week, every week um, for this job. And there was no regard given to me to even listen to my side of the story before they cast judgment through their own internal investigation with a well-known law firm that comes in and whitewashes these things. But nobody ever talked to me to say, you know what? Listen, there are always three sides to every story, right? There's their side, there's your side, and then there's what an objective third party is going to hear in the middle after listening to Mm -hmm. this. And so for that reason, like it's very common for people to conduct these internal investigations and then they go, oh, look folks, nothing to see here. It's all good, we're clean. But what I would say to that is that the real third party independent investigation is the EEOC because the EEOC's process is to take in my charge, ask the employer for their position on that charge and then allow me the chance if warranted to rebut that. Um, So they are looking at evidence submitted by both sides. The EEOC, well, yes, technically set up for employee protection. It's not like the EEOC has any obligation to Lisa Bowman or any obligation to United Way, right? So they are going to examine that evidence as an independent arbiter, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, My investigator doesn't know me. He doesn't know United Way. He doesn't really care. Mm -hmm. to be honest, Mm -hmm. right? His job is to look at this impartially and make a determination that there is cause for me to sue or not cause to sue. Or in a rare percent of cases, it's I think 0.02% of cases, the EEOC will actually do their own investigation and sometimes litigate, but that's definitely a rare occasion just based on their capacity. So what I would say is that, you know, I think for me, while what the board and the CEO said was to some extent defamatory and that it positioned me as a liar Mm -hmm. when they said that fired for reason and there's no 
no merit to these allegations. Um, I am waiting for my right to sue with cause assessment from the EEOC, which for me gives me that vindication that an independent third party looked at this. They looked at the facts. They looked at the evidence that we both submitted and they said, yes, there is a problem here. Yeah. Um, the, the fact that you, like you said, your voice wasn't heard, even in that invest in, first of all, you didn't get an exit interview. You didn't get to have go on record um, with the organization uh, in an exit interview, which neither did I, um, but also that the the sham investigations that happen, it's so infuriating. I shared something on LinkedIn this week about another one. You know, they, they do, they bring in these these law firms or whatever, independent investigators, and it's it's just they're following what the handbook tells them they have to do, but it's, it's already predetermined that it's, it's not going to be fair. It's, it's always, they, when do you ever hear one that comes out validating the employee? Never or rarely. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, there's that whole side of it too. Um, you know, trusting the, the trust being broken is just that I, I still struggle with that. Um, you know, like you said, you trusted them and tried to do the right thing to protect them as an organization and then the betrayal. And the, another thing I wanted to point out was, I know many people don't realize this, but when you, if you submit a claim, a case to the EEOC, the burden of proof does not fall on you, the employee. You, you just submit your story and the burden of proof is for the organization to prove this did not happen or does not happen or is not happening. So a lot of people feel like I didn't document, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't, I don't have any proof, right? It's not your, if you have it, that's fantastic. But it's the, just, it's the suggestion of the abuse or harassment itself is the claim. And then it falls on the, the organization. They have to prove, no, this didn't happen. So anyone listening, if you're, if you if you're experiencing something or like like Lisa you said earlier, don't wait till you lose your job or don't wait till they you're so sick from stress at work that you quit right and then bring it. You can bring it while you're employed, and if they retaliate against you, you absolutely will get a right to sue from the EEOC because that is the temporal proximity of that. They can't escape that. The employer can't escape that. No, I think that's a great point. And to that point, two other things I'd love to point out is that one you should make sure that you're documenting. When you feel that something is wrong, keep notes of it. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's just sending yourself an email or keeping handwritten notes with the date, the incident, who the incident occurred with, anybody that witnessed that incident. So that's the first thing. The second thing is about um, the EEOC filing. You know, while the burden of proof is not on you as the employee, it is important to remember that when you file that charge with the EEOC, you are filing that charge under penalty of perjury. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really important because for people that have said, oh, well, there's no merit or she might've made that up or he lied about that. Um, you're filing that legally with a federal agency because remember, violation of Title VII is a federal crime. Mm -hmm. um, so when you file that charge with the EEOC, you are filing with a federal agency stating that you are telling the truth under penalty of perjury. Yeah. And I think that's really important for people to remember when they tend to discredit people. Um, 
And so I think that when you've got the documentation to back it up and you understand the severity of filing, because like I said, it's federal agency and penalty of perjury. Um, it gives a lot more credence, I think, to people that don't understand what an EEOC filing actually is. Yeah. So you you are essentially putting your reputation, your life, you're, you're staking everything on this claim. So taking that step, the bravery of doing that, but also knowing what you know and that it's you have your voice needs to be heard because this is this is a real issue this happened you saw it you heard it multiple people um yeah it, it's and again the the toll that reality takes on us right i mean it litigation is not for the faint of heart right no, it's not. Yeah. But, you know, I will say that in my case, if it ends up being the way to get resolution here, um, then that's what we'll do. Yeah, because it's um, this is wrong. And I was wronged. And the fact that my harasser, the COO and the CEO, all left with packages rewarding their bad behavior. Mm -hmm. And I have not had so much of an admission of anything has happened from the organization, the new interim CEO, who was the former board chair. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the one thing is, Michelle, that when you install somebody from a board into a leadership role, when that leader either voluntarily or involuntarily leaves, mm -hmm. people make the assumption that the problem is gone. The problem is not gone because the culture is still there. And particularly if you've got a board leader who was aware of this and failed to take action and is now leading the company, nothing's going to change there. If anything, it's a recipe for worse to me. Yeah, exactly. Because this is somebody that knew about it and they look the other way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in the case of my former employer, I know they're doing a search for a CEO right now. Um, good luck to that person because... They're going to have a lot of cleanup on their hands with the cultural stuff that's been left behind. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my ex CEO just retired, interestingly, and someone else is at the helm. And I thought, I think the same thing that I, you know, I wish her the best. Um, but I know the, the layers and layers and layers of issues that, um, it's, I wouldn't want the job. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't want stuff. I'm just, uh, peeking back to my notes here. Um, oh, do you want to talk about the, well, we did talk about the board role, right? I mean, I, I last, so last year, at the end of the year, someone contacted me and told me this horrific story. It was, it was a board of directors, very similar, just looked the other way, allowed the CEO to just be crazy. And, you know, there was no accountability. And I went on LinkedIn. I'm like, that is it. I have had it. Like I am declaring 2021, the year of board accountability. Like I, I have heard this story over and over again. And just yesterday, I found an article where a board, a board of directors is actually being sued at a big, um, I don't know if I should say the company, but oh. the board of directors of Pinterest is being sued for um, neglect of fiduciary duty. Now, I, I think being on a board is a privilege. I would, I would love to be on a board. I would think it's like you, it's such a amazing um, opportunity to give back and try to affect really good change. And like you said, like 
when you were invited to United Way, that mission, that purpose, I think it's amazing. But there's also a responsibility for any director or trustee. You you can be legally held accountable for inaction, for complicit behavior, for looking the other way. And I, I think sometimes people don't realize that. Like, so it's not, the company's not being sued. The board is being sued. Yeah, I saw that article that you had posted and I found that really interesting myself um, mm. because you're right. They do have an obligation uh, to the organization, a fiduciary obligation. And so, you know, the same as we talked about when HR doesn't take care of the employee, they are violating their responsibility because they're they're creating risk for the company right. that they're hired to protect. It's kind of the same thing with the board. Um, and, you know, so many board members, um, particularly in the nonprofit sector, at least in our case, you had sort of a who's who of corporate America mm-hmm. on that board. This is not behavior that would be tolerated in their organizations. Mm-hmm. And yet... Mm, nothing to see here, folks, right? Um, and the other thing is, like, at least in United Way's uh, model, the majority of their support comes from corporate America. And what we are seeing right now is a real backlash of corporate America to poor behavior, whether it's things like defunding uh, people that they believed were involved with the January 6th incidents. Um, You know, here in Atlanta, where I live, we've got our own stuff going on in Georgia right now with companies coming out against the new voting laws. Mm -hmm. And so in the past, I think companies were reticent to step into the fray and take a stand on things. Today, with Gen Z coming into the workplace, they almost demand that those companies take a stand. Because if you don't stand for something, you don't stand for anything, right? And so I, you know, the big question in my mind, is um, I, do any of these companies take a stand um, with their relationship with some of these nonprofits and say, you know what, this organization and their behavior no longer aligns with our values, and therefore we are not going to support it or we are not going to support it in the way in which we previously did. Um, because all it takes is one. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have companies that give millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to nonprofits. Um, You know, is it worth it? This would be my question to to these folks. Is it worth it for you to put at risk one corporate partner over one person? Mm. Is that a risk you're willing to take? Right. It's the repercussions. I I think I just read in an article that over 200 organizations are have withdrawn their funding of the United Way. I can send you the article. Um, I think uh, that was some... a reference. I, I know the article. I okay. think that was a reference to the local United Ways. Okay. Um, because it, it is a federated structure. Um, so what one of uh, Emily's articles reported was that many of the local United Ways in the network had been withholding funding um, in protest of this and some other issues. Okay, that that is I. That's what I had read. Okay. Yeah, and I, I, you know, again, I don't have the inside knowledge, but from what I'm hearing, um, it's my understanding that that is part of what led to some of the financial issues that were uh, responsible for the reduction in workforce and the voluntary set packages was the withholding. 
because that's by and large where worldwide uh, gets the majority of the revenue is through the dues paid by the network. Very interesting. So, you know, again, um, the aftermath of treating employees horribly, like inhumane, there's, it can come at huge financial costs and organizations just, I think you said something you said earlier is they, I think when you, when the article first half post article dropped, oh, it's just one article. It's not, it, it'll, it'll fade out of, it's not going to, you know, garner any public interest. And here we are, how many articles later? Speaking of, so in your, in your interview with the Huff Post, you, there were certain people in at United Way that were named and others that were not. I know one who was um, had a key role in your harassment, you know, was not named. Do you want to discuss that at all or your reasoning on that? Yeah, I, well, I very much would like to name that person and have that person held accountable. Um, the, the reason I did not do that um, was I was afraid for my personal safety. And to some extent, I was afraid for that person's personal safety. Um, they had expressed some mental health issues during my time working there. Mm -hmm. And while I wanted accountability, if that person should harm themselves, I didn't want that responsibility on me. And knowing that they had some issues, which by the way, does not dismiss their behavior at all. No, it doesn't. Um, but knowing that they were having some issues, I became a little afraid for my personal safety and chose to not name that person. The Gentleman Boss podcast has been named top 20 best month reporting podcasts of 2021 by Welp Magazine, number 36 of 200 in top entrepreneurship podcasts by Podchaser, and top 20 best whistleblower podcasts for 2021 by CastBox Media. For sponsorship opportunities, please visit our website at thegentlewomanboss.com. Unfortunately, by being protective of myself and candidly caring about that person's well-being, the situation that I created was that he has not been named um, and therefore we'll have the opportunity to move on and do this again somewhere else. And what I do know is that I've been contacted by people from his past going back 15 years ago wow. that tracked me down after that article and shared with me incidents that they had with him that were very similar to mine, mm -hmm. um, which tells me that he is a, a serial harasser. Mm -hmm. And therefore I, I fear for his next workplace. Mm -hmm. um, I know that there were people that he worked with just prior to the role in which I worked with him that also expressed they had had issues with him. Um, but I, I don't believe the diligence was ever done mm -hmm. necessarily. Um, and, and that goes back to our earlier point about the gaps in the HR process. Yeah. You can background check all you want, you can talk to references. Nobody's going to give you a reference that says, oh yeah, I worked with that person. I was harassed by him. Um, there, there has to be a better process from an HR perspective of looking at somebody's whole self mm -hmm. and what they've brought to their workplaces. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's through social media, whether it's through publicity, 
I mean, had the organization that hired the former COO looked and done uh, their diligence, um, that person was named in at least one of the articles. Mm-hmm. Um, that for me as the hiring manager would have raised a red flag for me to say that this person was in charge of HR and we've got all of these cultural issues at the organization and three EEOC suits within one year time period, mm. something must be up. Right. I, I've, I've spoken about that many times too, Lisa, that, that um, the, uh, the transparency of someone's work career, right. In, in the moving on, like some, um, in the case, that case of the CEO, you know, took a, a severance package, however, however you worded it, went on two weeks later, had another senior role in, in an organization. Who's telling, who's telling the real story? Cause right. we all know there's a real story about this person or their complicitness or, um, you know, and I think a lot of it is, um, self-preservation. Everyone everyone's in toxic cultures and workplaces everyone's out for themselves they just are in a self-protective mode everyone works in silos you know it's hard um and i think probably the more senior le- the you know you were part of the c-suite so and this is another thing i, I feel like i have add today but um <laughs> like you you were in the c-suite of the world's largest nonprofit, literally and we're treated like that. So what happens to say an entry-level employee that maybe um, does not, maybe English is not their first language or they um, have, you know, minimal education, um, maybe a single mom, right? Needs this job, cannot afford to lose the job. What, what tools do they have to protect themselves? Like if, if you, if you, if you dealt with it as a C-suite member at that level, what's happening at the other end of the spectrum and what is not being talked about or what's being covered up because people just need their job. You know, there's that, that, when you think of, when I think of that, it's, it's heart wrenching because, and the only way it will ever change is if people speak up like what you've done. I mean, you have to. And, and for me, Like I said at the beginning of this, the reason I chose to speak up is because some of the other women that had come to me um, stating behavior that was inappropriate or things that I observed, they were more junior, they were younger, they were women of color. There is no way they were going to stand up against a white male C-suite executive. Um, So I followed policy. I did what I was supposed to do. And... For that, this is this is what I got um, was retaliation and, and losing my job. And so, you know, part of my decision to go public with it and, and going public with it, Michelle, came at significant risk to both my personal and professional brand. Um, but that decision was because if I could inspire or help just one other person find the courage to stand up and speak out and not tolerate this, then all of that was worth it to me. And, you know, it was a risk because now when I do interview for a role, when I go to my next role, this is out there. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I've been very candid with people um, as I've been in the job process. When I'm asked, you know, 
Why did, sounds like a great job you have. Why did you leave? Um, I can't hide behind it, nor will I. Mm -hmm. And so I've been very candid. And, you know, my response is generally, I'm not going to get into all of the details. Um, it is out there in the public domain, but there was a Me Too issue at my former employer. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I happen to be a victim of that. Right. And that's the only time, the only time that I ever used the word victim, um, which I think after just hearing that come out of my mouth, I may change to circumstance. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, you know, it's if we do not speak up about this and continue to push back against the status quo, this is going to continue. And I know that we've talked about the fact that, you, you know, you and I have the next generation of the workforce. Um, you've got a teenage daughter. I have a teenage stepdaughter, my gift with purchase. Um, <laughs> I, I do not want her walking into a workplace where this is still pervasive. Yeah. Um, nothing would give me greater pleasure, candidly, like you'd have to change up what you're doing on your podcast because this is not an issue that we have content to talk about anymore. Um, right. The, the best outcome for you would be to struggle to find content to post on LinkedIn because this isn't happening, right. but it is happening and it's happening every day. And there's no shortage of content for you. No. I can go back the last, let's say six weeks and granted my antennas are probably a little more attuned to this happening in the environment right now, but off the top of my head, issues with Amazon, issues with Andrew Cuomo, uh, McDonald's being sued in a class action, it's supposed to be the best first job that people have. And yet teenagers, and in some cases, lower income and teenagers of color being subjected to widespread harassment there. Mm -hmm. There was a whole, whole segment on 60 Minutes yeah. um, not too long ago. And so when we, especially with a nonprofit, when those institutions that are supposed to be operating for the greater good fail to do so, mm -hmm. who is it that we're supposed to count on? Because we've lost trust in all of the traditional institutions, mm -hmm. right? Going back to the last financial crisis, trust in banks eroded, trust in the government has eroded, trust in the corporate sector mm -hmm. is eroding. But I worked for an organization that was supposed to be taking care of people, fighting for the health, education, and financial stability of every person in every community. But they wouldn't fight for me. They right. fought against me. Right. Everyone except Lisa, right? Right. Well, well and everyone. Others, but yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. But, you know, just for to, to, to the analogy of it. Yeah. Like they yeah. failed. They failed. Completely, utterly failed to protect their own employee and and give you those prom those guarantees, right? Right. And we, like you said, we see it over and over and over again. And there is a huge, uh, if you go on the EEOC, um, they have a page that just updates daily with, with outcomes of EEOC cases. And it's just one after the other, after the other. Work workplace retaliation, harassment, discrimination, you know, this much money, that billions of dollars being paid to settle these claims and, you know, cases. It is a huge financial cost for organizations. And if all they care about is that, that making sure that bottom line is in black and not red, and they don't care about culture, it's going to cost them more in the end. It costs them more. Like when I taught that MBA class, I did a whole screen a whole present part of the presentation was on the cost of turnover and um, lawsuits and retaliation, you know, all what it costs organizations and how 
the tracking those costs is very difficult because it takes it's cross department wise there's tools they need and they just very few organizations are outfitted to track that kind of data so it's it's sort of like the un, unaccounted for expense and i think the great thing of people like you coming out with your story even though it's scary like you said even though it's come at personal and professional cost to you it puts it gets it's on the radar it's on it, it's on the radar and people organizations leaders need to hold themselves accountable and, and rebuild that trust it, it's just it's um it's crazy yeah <laughs> It is. I mean, it's, you know, again, the EEOC statistics, seven out of 10 women that have reported harassment have also faced retaliation. Um, that's insane. And the other costs that people don't take into account are the soft costs, the intangibles, right? Because there's, there's value that's assigned to any brand. And there's trust in that brand. Um, and in the case of a nonprofit, right, if you've got stuff like this that's happening, you are impacting the reputation of the brand. That's an intangible that's kind of hard to quantify sometimes. You're also impacting trust in the brand. Mm -hmm. And it, particularly in the nonprofit sector, if you don't trust an organization, you are certainly not going to give them your money. Right. Absolutely. And the organization I worked for was federally funded how many organizations can risk losing federal funding? How many nonprofits? Well, I mean, that's that's got to be a, a terrifying thought, or should be. Sure. And I'm sure you know this too, but anybody that gets federal funds, if you violate Title VII, you run the risk of losing your federal funding. Yep. Can lose that nonprofit status, can... Yep. And those are the, that's, the, that's the burden to bear of being a leader today, always, but especially today, like you said, it's... Uh, Gen Z's coming up and coming and they are demanding transparency and they are demanding accountability. Um, a friend of mine a couple of years ago sent me a link to uh, a clip from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross and um, Alec Baldwin. Oh, he's so handsome then. He still is, but anyway, he goes <laughs> off like in this room full of salesmen. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrific. Like, he's swearing and he, you know, it, I always say like the Glen Gary, Glen Ross days are over. You cannot treat your people like that and think it's okay or that it's not going to come out. You know, it. It's. I just think of that often when um, that autocratic, you know, type of leadership, and they don't. They think they're infallible. They think they're above the law, their own rules, their own handbooks. So, time to bring some people down a few pegs, right, Lisa? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's uh, definitely time for change. I, I think that, you know, this is um, enough is enough and things need to change. Yeah. Can I ask you one more thing? Uh, I know sure. you've, um, you've had a lot of support. You spoke earlier about Gretchen Carlson and others I know have been of great support to um, men and women. Like how, how, talk about that for a second. Like, the, have you gotten enough support? Do you feel, did you have to go looking for it? How has it been as far as that? I, I will tell you that the outpouring of support that I had was absolutely overwhelming um, because when that first article broke and I, I remember thinking, okay, you know, this is on social and the haters are there 
Um, but I have to say that while there were a few snarky comments, mm -hmm. um, I was I was steeled for it. And the outpouring of support from both men and women mm -hmm. um, and going back, people I worked with 20 years ago wow. who came forward and said, oh my God, like I worked with you. I know what a stand-up kind of person you are, but I also know you're not somebody that's going to take any crap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you are not the person they should have pulled this with. Um, but the outpouring of support was absolutely just amazing. I, I am so filled with gratitude, candidly for all of the people that stepped up and surrounded me um, during this time and helped me uh, feel like I wasn't in such a dark place. Yeah, that's that's so important, Lisa. I'm glad you, you shared that because it's a very isolated feeling to go through what we've been through. Um, you, you know, your self-confidence takes a hit, no doubt, and you question question everything you did, every decision, even though you know deep down you did the right thing. It's a hard process. And I think having support, being supportive, like no judgment here, because number one, we're all different creatures, right? We talked about the toughness uh, meter and um, women's, and especially I say women supporting women because my, my harassers were female and I have, I have great support from men. I all, as far as gender, like in my network on LinkedIn, um, you know, when I, when I chose the gentlewoman boss for my business name, I was a little worried I was going to um, sort of isolate the guys, but they've actually, I have phenomenal support. I think because a lot of them have seen it happen in the workplace and it, they're a stand-up guy. So they, they know it's wrong and they know, you know, it's, it's important to address it. But um, we, as women or just as human beings, we need to support people going through this because it's it's very difficult and you're already judging yourself and you're questioning things. So we don't need that coming from other people or right. or telling us that we're not in a position to help other people. That is so wrong. If you've been through it, you can help people. Like you, what, like you said, what you've learned now on this side of it all, how much you have to offer and help people. And, and I, I think to your point, one of the easiest, simplest ways to help somebody is just to simply tell them, I believe you. Yeah. Don't, don't question them. Just tell them, I believe you. That's um, three powerful words that can make a huge difference for people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Lisa, thank you so much for taking an hour and a half we've been together. <laughs> I might have to split this into two episodes. Um, I really appreciate your time and your um, bearing your soul, basically a little bit. I know it was got, it, it's been hard, and I I still have those days that the tears come. So you're not alone with that. Um, but I I'm so grateful that you you took the time, shared your story of courage, and um, you are a true leader. And any organization would be super lucky to have you on and I know you're gonna you're gonna land another role you may even create a role you may just thank you Michelle create I your so own appreciate <laughs> the opportunity to talk with you and um you know uh I'm here if anybody wants to reach out if you're having a struggle um find me on LinkedIn find me on Twitter I got your back yeah I'll put uh Lisa's uh website and um her con um where you can find her online I'll drop that into the notes on the episode too. Um, 
And thanks, thank you so much, Lisa. And I'm looking forward to keeping in touch with you and seeing all the amazing things you're going to do. And we're here thank to support you. you for that. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast. Don't forget to download my show so you can listen whenever and wherever you'd like. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a second and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps with ratings and distribution. Thank you so much. As always, if you'd like to share your story, or if you have a question you'd like answered or an up on an upcoming episode of the show, you can visit my website or send me a DM on any of my social media platforms. Find and follow me at Gentlewoman Boss. If you prefer to watch podcasts rather than just listen to the audio version, my episodes are uploaded on my YouTube channel in video format as well. Click subscribe, and when new episodes drop, they'll show up in your feed. Super easy. So until next time, remember, always choose to be the gentlewoman or gentleman in the room. And I'll see you soon for the next episode of the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast.